Our scripture this morning comes from Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image, in the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. So as Whitney indicated, or as most of you know, most summers at Westminster I preach a series of sermons that sometimes on a particular character, sometimes it's on a particular book, or sometimes it's on a set of theological questions. I plan to follow this pattern this summer, but with three slight changes. First, on most Sundays, the biblical text will come from the Old Testament selections from the lectionary, as opposed to texts that I choose to fit the theme of the summer. Second, the series is actually going to extend a bit into October with one or two exceptions, um, even, even when I preach. And third, because these sermons will primarily be drawn from Genesis and Exodus, they will feature events or people with whom many of us will have at least a passing familiarity. In many of these sermons, I will take an Old Testament figure or even one incident in the person's life that is deeply revealing. I hope that each sermon will have for you something old and something new, something familiar and something you have never before encountered, something you learn or relearn about faith and life, about self and other, about humanity and God. The series is entitled, In the Beginning, because it will focus not only the stories from our faith concerning the origins of humanity, but also on the beginnings of wisdom that are so crucial to us today, and the search for which is perhaps what draws us here Sunday after Sunday. And finally, by way of introduction, I will be drawing on the contemporary scholarship of Aviva Gottlieb Zornberg, a Jewish scholar who combines insightful study of the biblical text with centuries of Jewish reflection on the text known as Midrash, with her knowledge of Freud, Shakespeare, Kafka, and 19th and 20th century American literature. More than any other scholar I've read in recent years, 
Zornberg draws from the biblical text depths of human experience that more often than not draw me closer to God. It is that closeness that I hope you will experience as you do what you do so well in this congregation. Listen to the preaching of the word. Let us pray. O Lord, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have sworn and I will perform it. May it lead me and those who hear to serve thee in the world that thou hast created. In the name of Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. So when we read the first creation story in Genesis, we find ourselves in a vertical or tiered worldview. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, and it was so. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals, and it was so. Within this tiered worldview of the 6th century BCE, out of which the creation story emerged, we basically find ourselves looking upward at a resolute, Powerful, majestic, transcendent, creative God who acts in solitude through his spoken word to create the world below and then to bless what he creates. God said, let there be, and it was so. The movement of creation proceeds downward on the part of God while we stand below looking upward in awe. Says Psalm 8, O Lord our Sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I look at your heavens, at the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? What are mortals that you care for them? Yet even within this predominantly vertical story, there are hints of horizontality, if that's a word. But preachers can make up any word we want. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. While a wind from God swept across the waters. Words like formless void, darkness, deep, wind, waters are not usually expressions that we associate with verticality. They attempt to describe matters that are primarily horizontal, spreading out or flowing. In addition, God creates the waters to bring forth swarms of living creatures and birds to fly across the sky and everything that creeps to creep upon the ground. 
swarming, flying across the sky, creeping across the ground. These two are images that are primarily horizontal. And finally, notice that when God concludes his creative activity by creating humanity, God says, let us make humankind in our image after our likeness. Is God referring here to a council of gods? Is there some divine cabinet that God is consulting? Or is this an ancient version of a Presbyterian committee wrought in heaven that still exists on the face of the earth? Let us make God in our image after our likeness. Scholars often say that this usness is a remnant of an ancient mythology that predates the magisterial monotheism of God, monotheism to which Jews and, even with the Trinity, Christians hold. But even within this verticality of monotheism, this horizontal image of God is apparent at several places throughout the text of creation. Let us make in our image according to our likeness. Thus, even within the description of God as above, there is some horizontal dimension that enters in, a nod to a communal relationship, even within God's own person. And this communal dimension is brought home with the culminating act of creation. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Looking at this, we can conclude that the direction of creation is not only vertical, but it is also horizontal, communal. To be in the image of God is to be in relationship with the people and the creation around us. To be in the image of God is to be communal. He created them. These early texts from Genesis give us a picture of the way things are intended to be under God. As we absorb them into our faith and into our mind and into our life, we cannot help but conclude that in God's image... Human beings are intended to be in some sort of community with one another. To be human is to be in God's image. To be in God's image is to be human. But to be in God's image is to be in community. From time to time, I am asked to read at funerals the 19th century British poem, Invictus, by William Ernest Henley. It is a wonderful and stirring poem, and it moves me every time I read it. It is especially fitting for the funeral of one who has been a military hero, which is where it is often requested, or a person of great individual accomplishment or achievement or simply survival. 
Individuals as diverse as Churchill, Nelson Mandela, James Stockdale, President Obama, and the Burmese resistance leader Aung San Suu Kyi have cited it. Listen to it again. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods might be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced or cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. As influential as this poem is, it bears witness primarily to one aspect of what it means to be created in the image of God, the strength of the individual, the unconquerable soul of whom the individual is captain, especially when challenged or under duress. The primary image of the poem is that of an unfettered individual standing upright before God, standing vertically vertically against whatever chance and circumstance bring. But even within the heroic individualism of this poem, there is a nod to something beyond individual strength. The poem refers to whatever gods there may be. The vertical solitude of the hero of the poem who is captain of his or her own soul is an image that not even God ultimately maintains in describing his own efforts at creation. Let us make humankind in our image. Not let me Make humankind in my image. The God who begins creation in verticality moves ever so quickly in the direction of the horizontal. The God who begins creation alone moves quickly into community within his own being. The God who creates us creates us in his communal image. In the image of God, he created them. Zornberg writes, to have an equivalent other with whom one must reckon, who limits the grandeur of one's solitude, with whom one speaks and struggles and even brings offspring into the world is to live on the horizontal plane. She then quotes an ancient commentator, humanity as alone and autonomous is not good. We need to live face to face with the other. Face to face with each other. 
dancing, the choreography of our freedom. It is in community, face to face with each other, that we are most in the image of God in which we have been created. I was reminded of the power and importance of community on the recent trip to Israel, our church sponsored with two synagogues and another Presbyterian church. One afternoon, we took a cruise on an open-decked boat across the Sea of Galilee. It was about a two-hour cruise. Our group of 41 people, about equally divided between Christians and Jews, were the only group on the boat that day. And it was a stunningly beautiful day, both sunny and cool. A few minutes into the excursion, I was called forward in front of the captain's cabin to read over the public address system two passages of Scripture which occurred in the life of Christ on the Sea of Galilee, the story of Jesus stilling the storm and the story of Jesus walking on water. It was moving to read these stories on the sea on which they occurred. In a few minutes, the captain's voice again came over the PA system, and he said, we normally do this for American groups. And then a deckhand began to hoist the American flag up adjacent to the flag of Israel. The national anthem began to play over the PA system. Everyone in our group just reflexively stood and took off their hats, put their hands over their hearts, and we joined together singing the national anthem, off key, of course. I've thought about this event several times since. And it's led me to reflect on the different communities of which I am a part and the way so many of them were interlocking on this trip. The community of marriage, which is a community, to my spouse who co-led the trip. The community of friendship that I have with Rabbi Jack Moline who also co-led the trip. The community of this congregation, Westminster, of whom about 20 of you were on the trip. The community of Jews and Christians, Presbyterians and Catholics from all over this area who made up the trip. The community of Alexandria and Metropolitan D.C., from which most participants come. The community that has become my home, my adult home. The fragile community of Jews and Christians and Muslims and Arabs and Palestinians we encountered throughout the trip, all of whom call the land we visited home, the community that we as Christians share with Jews, out of whose scripture and heritage we have been born. 
in the community of the nation I love, whose flag we were saluting and whose anthem we were singing in foreign but holy waters. So God created all of humankind in His image. In the image of God, God created us, male and female. God created us. The usness of creation. The usness of this table. It's holy usness. It's a holy table.